Um, welcome this morning. Uh, my name is Dave Andreessen. I'm one of the elders here at Christian Fellowship Church. Uh, I am not Pastor Sergey. If that were the case, he would have had to put on a lot of Christmas weight. Uh, but uh, sir, actually, Pastor Sergey and his family are on vacation. Uh, some much-needed time off. Actually, he won't be with us today or next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to have Sam Hannum, who has been leading our worship for four or five months now. He'll be preaching. Uh, Sam's a great guy, so we look forward to that. So, how many of you had a good Christmas? Yeah? Couple, couple people, two or three maybe. So maybe some halves. Okay, who went out of town? Who stayed in town? Out of town? Not bad. Stayed in town? How many of you just slept through it? We got one or oh, two. Okay. Um, well, uh, we are going to do a, a short two-week series called Worshiping the Savior. Now the season is gone, but the reason remains. So the question begs to be asked: What do we make of the Savior? What do we make of this Savior born in a manger? Uh, we know that God took upon flesh, wrapped himself in flesh, and was born a babe in a manger. And that this Christ child, this God-man, grew in strength and, and, and stature and ultimately paid the price for our sin, the penalty for our sin. So what do we make of this Christ child? Christmas is gone. Uh, in just a couple days, uh, we'll be at 2013. That's pretty wild. So what do we do with this? This morning, we're going to look at worshiping the Savior because the lamb that was slain, make no mistake about it, the reason for Christmas is Good Friday. Christ came to die. His death is not something accidental or something that just happened to him uh, on the road to Calvary, but the purpose and the reason for him coming to pay for the sins of the world. And so we're going to look at worshiping the Savior, that this lamb that was slain is worthy of our praise. Uh, this morning we're going to find ourselves in the book of Revelations, chapter 5, uh, page 885, if you're in the, in the Bible in front of you in the seat back. Before we uh, read the text, let me just give you a little background on Revelations, chapter 5, or the book of Revelations, rather. And I should say that I'm, my notes are on my iPad, which I've never preached off of that. So everything's cool unless you see me playing Tetris. So if that happens, somebody just uh, tap me on the shoulder. So here's what we need to know about the book of Revelation. Revelation was written by the Apostle John uh, in the late part of the first century. Uh, Revelation, uh, John actually was the last living apostle. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. Revelation is unlike any other book in Scripture. It is not... Uh, poetry or prophecy. It's actually uh, called apocalyptic literature. It's a very unique genre, and it's filled with lots of imagery. In Revelation, John writes to seven churches in Asia Minor. Those seven churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, let's say that again, that one's fun, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. John writes to these seven churches, they're being persecuted, during this time, the Roman emperor Domitian was reigning, very similar to Nero. They were both sort of uh, power-hungry guys. They're, they're, Domitian was one of three Roman emperors that actually required people to worship them prior to death. Uh, I think we might often think that all Roman emperors required worship while they were living. Actually, only three ever did that. Domitian is one of them. Uh, it would have been absurd for them to have done that. 
typically after an emperor was dead, the Senate in Rome would vote whether or not they were worthy of worship once they were deceased. But Domitian was a persecutor of Christians, killed tens and thousands of Christians, uh, just like Nero did. And so the churches in Asia Minor are under persecution. So John addresses that, he acknowledges that, but he also addresses the fact that they've departed um, from rightly serving God. Five of the seven churches, John, John admonishes them because uh, they simply have turned from Scripture. They've compromised Scripture. Uh, they're not unlike many churches in North America today that are in danger of persecution but are filled with complacent, spiritually anemic Christians. They had compromised with culture and diverted from Scripture. John is also taken up in a vision, and he is shown the culmination of all history. He is shown the end times, the end of all things. And so it's important that as we read through this, we remember that John is in a vision, um, and he is in the throne room of God. Uh, many people look at Revelations as if it's a puzzle book. They try to piece things together so we can figure out timelines and when does this happen, when does that happen, when does Christ return. But I think the best way to look at it is not as a puzzle book, but as a picture book. So we're going to see a lot of imagery. Uh, and this uh, imagery, sometimes we, we can't wrap our minds around it. Uh, we'll see some of these living creatures have eyes all the way around, around them. and So it's sort of very symbolic. So we'll unpack some of that. The goal is not to dig too deep into the text. We're going to look at the whole chapter, five. Um, and so we could probably honestly spend three or four weeks in just that chapter. So we're just going to dive down in it, and we're going to look at this component of worship. I think we're going to see three things. I think we're going to see that uh, there is a weeping worship, there is a priestly worship, and a joyous worship. Because the lamb who was slain, this Christ child that was born, we just celebrated on Christmas, uh, is worthy of all praise. So we're going to look at those three components of praise and see how we can worship the Savior of ours. Okay, let's go ahead and turn. Uh, if you're already with me, let's read the chapter in its entirety. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll within and on the back, excuse me, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests 
to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you sent yourself in Christ so that Christ might take upon himself the sins of the world, reconciling us to God, that by your grace through faith we might be one with you again. We thank you for giving us your living word in Christ and revealing yourself to us in Scripture. We thank you for this text here this morning, Revelation 5. Lord, as we unpack it, we ask that uh, you would reveal yourself to us this morning. Would you restore to, restore to us the joy of our salvation? We commit this text and this time to you, and we ask in Christ's name that Christ would be glorified and that his will would be done in all things. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Wow, what an amazing chapter. There's a lot going on here. The first thing I want to look at is this component of weeping worship. It's always bad when you start preaching and you're, you're thirsty already, right? It's only water, I promise. Weeping worship. John has been taken up. In chapter 4, John's taken up into heaven, and he sees this vision of the throne room. And the first thing he sees is he sees God sitting on the throne. And then he sees in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, so that's God, Chapter 4 reveals that to us. He says, He sees a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the, under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 4, And I begin to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The scroll is the unveiling of the mystery of God. Okay, It's the unveiling of the mystery of God that Old Testament prophets foretold. It's the mystery of how God's judgment and kingdom will come. The announcement of the consummation of all history. It's the unpacking of how things will ultimately end for all people. Judgment for the world and a final reward for the saints. The scroll is the end of history. And John sees that no one is worthy to open this scroll that God holds. Typically, a scroll is written on one side. It says this scroll has writing on both sides. It's very significant. There are seven seals on it, not just one seal. Later on in Revelations, it unpacks what each one of those seals mean. But what we need to understand is the importance of the scroll, that the scroll is the end of history, and no one is found worthy to open it. Um, the text says... No one in heaven, verse 3, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, under the earth, some think that that, that uh, is the dead in Christ or perhaps even those in hell or Hades. Um, but most likely it refers to those who are dead in Christ. So the living and the dead, there is no one who's worthy to open the scroll 
And because of this, John weeps. When it says that John weeps, in Greek it's ekleon poly. It means weeping greatly. Ekleon poly. The language entails a deep-seated grief. It's this mourning for what's lost. Uh, John wept over the events that might go unrealized, namely the coming of the final kingdom of God. This makes sense why he would weep. John understands the importance of the scroll. Now, it's possible that John is maybe like that child at the checkout who didn't get the candy that the child wanted and is throwing a fit now. John didn't get what he wanted. He just wanted to read the scroll. Some people say that that's why John weeps, because he didn't get to see what was in the scroll. But I think that John knew the importance of the scroll, and it's likely that John knew of Old Testament prophecy. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, uh, a prophecy of the end times is revealed. And Daniel, this is what Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what should be the outcome of these things? And then God says, He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. This is prophetic, that the history, the culmination of all things, were to be written on a scroll and held to the very end. The end of time. John knew this, so John weeps, this groaning, this mourning. And so what does the text tell us? The text tells us that one is found who can open it. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The importance of knowing that Christ can open up the scroll is huge. John weeps because no one was found to open it because John knows the importance of it. It's the end of history. You see, history is fixed. It's the fixed history. It's determined, it's ordered, and it's written by God. This should cause in us a great joy for us today as believers that Christ is worthy to open up the scroll, the unfolding of history. You see, in our day and age, in which it seems like every other month there's an end-of-the-world prediction, we just made it past the Mayan end-of-the-world prediction, I think on the 21st, right, everyone's here. I don't think, am I, did I miss out? Other people died on that. We're all still here, so it seems like there's a monthly almost, uh, in, the, in the last few years, there's predictions of the end, end times. And then we live in a, in a world in which our school children are targeted, and then economically, here in the U.S., we're on the edge of a fiscal cliff, we're about to fall over. So this should cause in us a great joy that Christ can open the scroll, right? He can reveal the history. And what does this do for us as saints? It ought to free us up from fear. We don't have to worry about these predictions. It, it enables us to deal with the fear of knowing that madmen can enter into movie theaters and schools schools and gun down innocent people. It ought to help us to deal with the fact that our economy is falling apart in front of us. There should be a great sense of joy that we know that Christ has earned the right to unfold this history through the spilt blood of his atoning work, his work on the cross. This frees us up from fear, and it allows us to worship God freely. Scripture tells us elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, that the whole creation groans together 
and pains of childbirth awaiting the return of Christ. You see, John longs, he groans, he eagerly awaits for the return of Christ. Do you long? Do you groan for the return of Christ? Do you trust that God knows the future? That he's already written it? Do you realize the freedom that comes from knowing God holds the future in his hand? And Christ is the one worthy to reveal it. You see, the Lamb was slain. Jesus is worthy of worship. He's worthy of our worship. So we see in this weeping worship, this component here, this longing, this desire to see the return of Christ. This is why John weeps. Do we weep as children of God? If we thought that no one could open the scroll, would it cause us to weep that the, hist the future of mankind was unknown? I think we should weep. But instead I weep because I long for Christ to come who can unfold the scroll, who knows, who is worthy, he's earned the right to unfold, to reveal the end of time. This brings great joy. Now we worship freely without fear. Let's look at verse 5, and we're going to look at priestly worship. We'll go back over 5 here. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. Real quick, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is Jesus. The lion is a symbol of power. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, referred to as the LXX, 70, um, it used the analogy of a lion 150 times to portray this image of power. And so what is this lion of the tribe of Judah? It's, a, it's, it's used in a figurative sense for power and strength, a symbol of the Davidic throne. It's an Old Testament messianic title. So John looks to see this warrior Messiah, the root of David, but what does he see instead? Verse 6, And between the throne... And the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. There's a little bit to unpack here. You see, John, instead of seeing this lion of the tribe of Judah, instead sees the Lamb of God. John sees a warrior Messiah. He sees a warrior Lamb. And we're told that the Lamb, which is Christ, has seven eyes and seven horns. This, this is pretty wild. Now it's thought that the seven eyes represent the all-seeing nature of the Lamb, so that, so that the horns, rather, are the omnipotence, the the power, the eyes, the omniscience. The, so we've got the power and the strength, the, the all-knowingness of this warrior lamb. And it says here uh, that the eyes represent the Holy Spirit. It's this sevenfold Holy Spirit that God's presence is sent throughout the entire earth. So again, the horns and the eyes are a symbol of strength and power, his omnipotence and his omnipresence, that he's everywhere. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. Again, he's worthy to open up the scroll. And so this is the picture of the Lamb that we see. The power and presence of the Lamb. 
that was slain. Let's pick back up in the text and see what happens. Verse 7, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. This is amazing. Who are these four living creatures and these 24 elders? If we go back to chapter 4, verse 6, the latter half of verse 6, 6b to 11, let's just unpack that real quick. This is amazing. Chapter 4, verse 6. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. These are the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And what do they do here in verse 8 of chapter 5 when Christ the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb, the Lamb, the lamb who had been slain, when he takes the scroll, it says the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now these prayers are thought to be prayers of petition. When you look in the original text, prayers of petition. Perhaps they were the prayers of the seven churches in Asia Minor who were being persecuted. Nonetheless, they were prayers of petition, calling upon God's name. And the 20 the four living creatures and the 24 elders bow down and the elders hand to God these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that amazing? That ought to change our prayer life, that our prayers are offered up to God in golden bowls as incense, that our prayers are worshipped to God. And so they bow down and it says they sing a new song. What do they sing? Verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Did you catch that? We've been made a kingdom and priests for God. See, the, the second aspect of worship is this priestly worship. We have been made a kingdom and priests for God. This is amazing. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 tell us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A royal priesthood. And this is the, the, the new song that the four living creatures and 24 elders sing. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you bow with hearts and with golden bowls of incense as a people for God's own possession, are you proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light? Do you fall on your knees? Do you bow before the Almighty? Are you filling golden bowls with incense? Are you living as a kingdom purchased, a royal priesthood? Are we living this way? We are called to worship We've been made a kingdom of priests. May we worship him with a new song. May we bow before him. May we fill those golden bowls full of incense in our prayer. Prayers of petition for Christ who intercedes, Scripture tells us, on our behalf. Let's look at a joyous worship. Join me in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So you see the picture here. Right around Christ is the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Then we pan out and there's myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands of angels. And then we'll see beyond that is all of creation. And they're all singing, worthy is the Lamb. Verse 12 with a loud voice, sang with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. How amazing is that? Worthy is the Lamb. This sevenfold blessing, this sevenfold worship rings out like a bell being struck. Boom! This joyous, loud worship of myriads and myriads of angels who say, Worthy are you, the Lamb who was slain, of power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. How amazing is this that myriads and myriads of angels, and you picture the joyous sound of that, that worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And then we scope out even further, verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. So we're talking dead and living. We're talking every single created thing. Can you imagine this? In the sea. How does the dolphin worship? How does the whale worship? How does the shark worship? But they worship. I don't know. But they worship. And what do they say? To him who sits on the throne. Verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We see this picture of God and Christ together, a blending of the two, because they are both God. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. How amazing is this? Worthy is the Lamb, the Father and the Son. Worthy are they. Worthy are they of blessing and honor and glory and might forever. You see, there's a time, Scripture tells us, when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess 
See, all creation will worship him, as the text says. This summer we were in the book of Philippians, and so some of you were with us then who heard it then. I'll read it now. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, speaking of Christ, we read in Philippians, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this was written by Paul. Very similar language of what John says. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess. We see myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands worshiping Jesus with a loud voice. This is followed by the living and dead, all of creation, worshiping. And what does the text say after this? Verse 14, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We all... We see this constantly that the elders fall down. Three times now here, chapter 4, and then twice now in chapter 5, these elders fall down. And 4, they take their crowns. They're they're seated around God. They're wearing golden crowns. They take them off and they bow down and worship. So we see these living creatures, four of them, worshiping God, worshiping Christ. We see these elders, and we see myriads and myriads of angels. Then we see all of creation on earth, under the earth, in the sea, in heaven, every living thing worshiping, saying, you are worthy. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures worshiped him. Honor, glory, might, and blessing forever and ever. We've been given God's word, the knowledge that God holds the future and Christ alone is worthy to reveal it and unfold it. We've been made a kingdom of priests. We're a holy priesthood, is what Peter tells us. And we've been given God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, which indwells and empowers us to worship. My prayer this morning is that the joy of your salvation would be renewed, that by God's spirit you might worship Christ like John did, with a groaning, with a weeping for his return, that you might praise the worthy Lamb for purchasing you with his blood and making you a kingdom of priests. And as priests, that you might bow down, that you might worship, that you might sing a new song, a loud song, that you might fill golden bowls with incense, the prayers of the saints. I do pray that you sing a loud song with all of creation, that we would sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You see, the Lamb who was slain, Jesus, is worthy of all worship. He's worthy of your worship. This is what we make of the Christ child. The season's gone, the reason remains. He's worthy. This chapter is steeped probably beyond any other passage in the Bible with Christology. It tells us more about Christ 
than what we see anywhere else in terms of worship, that He alone is worthy. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And this is an amazing opportunity to worship Him as a kingdom of priests that we can worship the living God, the Lamb of God who was slain for us. You see, Romans chapter 3 tells us that, says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. They've all turned aside. It says, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not one. See, our works can't do it. We needed the work of a Savior. This was the reason for Christ's first advent, His first coming. We needed a Savior. And Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, for our sake, for your sake, He made Him sin, referring to God, to Christ, He made Him sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we've been declared innocent. If we're in Christ, this is a legal declaration. We stand before God, the judge, worthy of his wrath. We should hear that gavel knock and hear guilty. But Scripture tells us by God's grace through faith, we can enter into a relationship with Christ. And Christ stands as our advocate. And instead we hear, not guilty. That's amazing. That's amazing. Scripture tells us in Romans 10, chapter 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you don't know him, if you're not a part of this kingdom of priests, call upon his name. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Confess, repent, turn away from that. And accept the free gift of Christ. For those of you who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, this again is a great opportunity to worship the Lamb who was slain because he's worthy. Remember, worthy of power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. As we come to the table, we don't come to the table to gain salvation. We've already received salvation. We don't come to the table, again, out of work, so we can maintain our salvation. Our salvation is secured in Christ. We come to the table to celebrate, to remember the body broken and the blood shed of Christ. If you're a believer, if you're a kingdom, a priest, a part of the holy priesthood, would you come up and celebrate communion this morning. If you're not, would you just sit? I pray that you'd seek the Lord. Scripture also tells us if there's a conflict with your brother and sister, that you should reconcile that, and that you shouldn't take communion in an unworthy manner. But for those of you who are in Christ, I pray that you would come to the table this morning and worship the living God, the Lamb who was slain. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 